another episode of the Cosmic Cafe, the podcast for thecosmiccircus.com. I'm Isla Ruby, and today is all about the mysterious Benedict Society. I spoke with Chrissy Carvanides Dushenko, the second season's costume designer. If you're a fan of the Disney show, you're going to want to have a listen. Enjoy! It's wonderful to meet you. Um, so here. I'm Isla. I write for the Cosmic Circus. Um, and why don't you tell me a little bit about yourself? Um, well, I'm Chrissy Carvanides. Um, I am a costume designer and I design uh, for episodic TV primarily. I also design for live performance stage and for opera. And I'm also a professor at UCLA for costume design. Hey, that's wonderful. I'm a student at UCLA in my free time. Um, so no that's, way. Yeah. Are I'm you in- here in Los Angeles? No, no, I'm actually in the DC area. I'm in, at UCLA Extension for screenwriting. So I amazing. I love amazing. the program there. Um, so can you talk a little bit about your approach to you know this season? Um, you know, do you what is your philosophy for for the season? I guess. Oh, I love that. First, I'm <laughs> going to give a um, a shout out to season one was designed by Kate Adair. Mm-hmm. Um, And what's incredible is that she set the tone at a very high sophisticated level where it's got this beautiful color palette. It's sort of a heightened reality. um, It's kind of like a whimsical, nostalgic nod to the 60s and 70s. But it's what my students uh, call a schmeriad. You know, it's kind of a mashup. You can't tell what period anything is in. So for uh, this season, what was really incredible uh, was how collaborative the process was. I loved working with these writers, uh, Todd, Phil, Darren, Matt, and also Craig Zisk, who was our director for some of the episodes, but also uh, one of the producers. And it was just great to keep working with them so that we just kept moving things up a little more heightened, a little more magical, little uh, unique color story. Um, But then Craig would kind of push it back down a little like, okay, there's like this, we don't want to tip the balance. So that was really special. Um, Now, do you look at the screenplays and read the screenplays ahead of time when you're designing or, you know, what? what kind of is is the process from the process from- so the very first thing was when um Kate Adair asked if I would consider interviewing for the project because mm-hmm. she went on to Perry, HBO's Perry Mason yeah and the timing wasn't working and we're very good friends and she was like could you consider taking this beautiful jewel of a project I was like well let me take a look I was on Barry for HBO mm-hmm. um talk about night and day, totally different yeah. stories and totally different aesthetics. But I was a little done with the violence factor. I was like looking for something more artistic and creative. Yeah. So um, the very first thing was I went and watched all of the episodes of season one. I think I had a day to prep for my interview with the producers. And um, as soon as we, so I put together a little pitch packet of where, 
um, where the story could go with the kids being a couple of years older. Um, met with them. As soon as I landed the job, the very next thing was I bought the books. <laughs> and then I was like reading the books and my commute is terrible. So it was also listening to them on tape mm -hmm. trying to get through the first two books. Um, but it's a little tricky because the story is inspired by the books, but it's right. not exactly parallel to the books. Um, and then from there, that trying to get into that deep dive of what they created in season one and how to stay in that same rabbit hole to then design the next season. What do you think are the main differences, you know, tonally or, or anything else between season one and, and season two? What um, was there like a mandate from the, from the production designer? No mandate, the... but there was a big shift. Season mm -hmm. one was filmed beautifully in Vancouver. Mm -hmm. And it's foggy and it's misty and the all your exteriors have sort of that gray tone and then they saturated the buildings and the characters. So that has a whole, the cinematography is totally different because season two, we filmed in Los Angeles, which was great. Um, and we also, the story shifts. They, season one, they were at a school and now the story they're, going to be getting onto a ship mm -hmm. across the Atlantic. So you're not supposed to know we're in Los Angeles. <laughs> and then you go across the ship and then we're in Europe. And it's on uh, non-specific locations in Europe. Oh, we did do... Um, Portugal, right? Portugal, yeah. 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 And fortunately, I had um, spent quite a bit of time in Portugal because um, I designed an opera there. So when they were talking about that port and coming in, I knew exactly what they were talking about. It was kind of wonderful. It was like, oh, and the uniforms for the police are so different. Mm -hmm. And then we created all the, the different uniforms for the customs brokers and the agriculture people and the local police. But the um, Craig Zisk and the rest of the writers were like, but don't make it threatening. So, you know, we, we soften the tone mm -hmm. of the authorities when you get to Portugal. Um, now, I read, actually, that goes into a, my next question very well. I think I read that on another project you worked on, you did location research in Houston for it. Now, did you get to go, um, did you make any trips to Europe for this? Or did you rely on that research of from having um, been to Portugal or anywhere else? So fortunately, uh, because I've been doing so much opera, I've been going to Europe a lot, mm -hmm. except during the pandemic. So yeah. for two years, I was not mm -hmm. on an airplane, which is very rare because I was on an airplane at least once a month um, and a lot of it going to Europe. But um, uh, so, no. And I think first, I think what it is, is that I designed Big Love that takes place in Utah. I think that's where you might that have may have been. It. OK, yeah. so I designed Big Love for HBO and um, seven years, five seasons. Um, you better believe I did get in my car and I did drive and tried to get into those compounds. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I like <laughs> that firsthand research. I got driven off the compound, oh, but no. I then went to like, well, where did these women go shopping? So mm -hmm. I went over to, I think it's called St. George. And I went to the, sure enough at the Walmart. The same there stuff. I was with my camera, like, you know, holding it close and taking the pictures. It was before our cell phones. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so, yes, I did do that. No. Um, and then they reached out, which is really great. And I then was able to 
collaborate with some of the uh, the people who used to be members of that compound. Oh, that's phenomenal. So, you know, speaking of sourcing and kind of um, pulling everything together to, you know, achieve these, um, you know, achieve these uh, looks that elevate the story. Um, what did you, like, how was sourcing it for this project? You know, did you, was there a lot of sewing? Was there, um, oh, yeah. you know, stuff from thrift stores? How did, what was that process like? For the main cast, because we needed multiples, we needed stunt uh, um, outfits for them as well. Mm -hmm. We had to put harnesses under some of them. Some of them, they got dirty. Um, yeah, but we had stunts and we had photo doubles for all the kids because mm -hmm. they have a limited amount, amount of time. So that's sort of the practical parts of it. But the most important starting a project like this is what is the color palette? What's that yeah. color story? And working very closely with the production designer so mm -hmm. that we are symbiotic with this, Cynthia Charette. Um, but we had one, one given that Kristen Shaw's character, number two, uh, got her name because of her lineup with the kids, but it also referred to the number two pencil. Ah. Right? So all of her clothes are keyed off of yellow and a very oh. specific yellow of a number two pencil. And then the accents are the color of the, the eraser, that kind of burnt orange. And then the green lettering on the classic old school number two, uh, we also infused into her costume. Oh, that's a wonderful detail. Yeah. So because I knew that she, her composition needed to be all about a number two pencil, everybody else's costumes then work in the same hue and the value on the color wheel. So nobody could be in yellow or if they were in yellow, it was very specific. Mm -hmm. And then I'm constantly thinking of what is that composition of the four kids? Mm -hmm. What is the composition of the four kids and the four adults? with the, um, who were sort of the, what are they, the, the chaperones of the kids, yeah. the orphans. Um, and then what is the composition for the, the background? And especially because we spend so much time on the shortcut ship, we created all of those uniforms for the shortcut. And we actually went back and we had access to the actual uniforms from the movie of Titanic. That's uh, you. You. That's a perfect uh, segue because I was going to ask about that because they feel like you know they look like they could have been from Titanic. They are so accurate. These you know what look like naval uniforms almost. So um, um, we we took we went we we were constantly looking for what is the most nostalgic interpretation of each of these types of uniforms mm -hmm. the characters. So that's why we went back like the most beautiful ship uniforms that audiences mm -hmm. will sort of know or subliminally know. It's the way that um, Deborah Scott designed yeah. those costumes for the Titanic. So what we did was we, um, we had the captain, he gets the three stripes. Mm -hmm. And then we made with Cynthia, we made like the patch. Oh, wow. The, um, for the um, for the whole line, so the the line, it's the shortcut, but it's the green zephyr lines. So that's the same as the ship in the air as well. Uh, that's the the dirigible. The dirigible. I'm sorry. 
but the green zephyr lines is like the viking cruise lines mm -hmm. or you know so or cunard right so the company the 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 hub the corporate hub is green zephyr so cynthia came up with the logo with the with the wind blowing the vessel and it's green zephyr so then that's why we did the the those life jackets and we printed the green zephyr we made the so we used vintage um, sailor uniforms, but then we put green zephyr on there. We put the SS shortcut on their sailor hats, like um, Italian sailor hats. So it's mm -hmm. kind of a mashup of everything, right? Because it's a European line. Yeah. So we didn't have to be so um, tethered to the US aesthetics for those uniforms. So we did these beautiful hats. They had the tassels, um, the back, I think we had signage on the back. Oh, we did the boiler suits, had the big uh, silk screen of the uh, the green Zephyr lines because those that crew can go from ship to ship. Yeah. You know? And um, so it was the captain, cannonball, then there's all the sailors, then there are the waiters, all had the patch on their white waiters jackets, the bellboys um, with the little bell hats, the... Um, the people who are doling out the money and the mm -hmm. ticket ticket agents, green jackets when you first come up to the ticket booth. Yeah, it was huge. It was so exciting to do it. That was so thrilling. Um, One was creating the color palette of my principles, like starting with the yellow for number two, then Constance is in pink, and then figuring out where I could fit everybody else's color story in the in the color wheel. So that they all look beautiful when they all come together at the end. Was there anything that was really challenging to kind of figure out and, you know, put together? Just timing. We never have enough. There's never, <laughs> there's never enough time. I mean, it's so fast. Every 10 days you're on a new script with a new mm -hmm. director, you know, and, and we're all over the, the distance and the driving and all of that. But it, it really comes together when there's great communication with mm -hmm. your producer, writers, with my production designer. But then I have an amazing costume team. I had um, my core team was 16 at any given time. Oh, wow. We made all of the costumes for the main cast. All of that was made in-house. Um, and then you have like working with the actors and they're so excited to collaborate and to create costumes in the fittings. I mean, that's the best. The kids were amazing. They're so bright and astute. And they're just like, yeah, I love that. And then I had like um, Kate the Great. I want to be an orange. I'm like, <laughs> orange it is. We could make that happen. You know, and then putting a spin on everything. But the kids were very much involved with that. Pro we would show them the drawings, mm -hmm. um, take their feedback. Because I also want them to take ownership mm -hmm. as their character so that when they're wearing those clothes, they feel like they are embodying their character. I love that. Now, can you talk a little bit about working with Tony Hale? Because as you know, as you know, he's got yes. two characters. <laughs> yeah. And it, it's got to be an interesting thing, right? To design for the same person with two characters. It's amazing. <laughs> Tony is amazing. What an amazing <laughs> performance, right? To play yeah. two characters. And very few times would we have a photo double. Tony's just like, oh, I can talk to, I can talk to the void that is supposed to be my <laughs> brother's character. 
you know, but the only time we had the doubles was for the long shots when they pull away to show both of them in the scene, mm -hmm. you know, um, but otherwise it's incredible. I mean, even in the fitting room, uh, for, for, for his character, um, Benedict, we used all the same clothes from season one, just mm -hmm. a little bit of a mashup, but that character isn't somebody who would be a clothes horse and have a ton of clothes. He's a professor type who like has his one look and a couple of ties and a couple of shirts. Um, so that one, we just had to tweak things to make it more comfortable, but it's amazing in the fitting room, Tony, you watch him more into, <laughs> um, into Benedict where he slouches and he kind of puffs up his face and he kind of twists his neck a little bit. It's amazing. Wow. And then that comes off and he's like, oh, little <laughs> Tony Hale. And then, um, you know, five minutes later, he's in curtain and his, his shoulders are upright and his head is upright and trying to get height on his neck. Mm -hmm. um, it's incredible. Just incredible to watch that. Now, Curtin has evolved a little bit from last season, too, in, in this season. So did that change kind of his look at all or, or the, the palette? For yeah, his? a bit, a bit. Um, we, we stuck with that blue, teal <laughs> blue palette, some some blue grays. Um, but we wanted to embrace sort of a zen. We were working with trying to infuse his look and his character's uh, upper class uh, sartorial aesthetics mm -hmm. with an Asian element. He wanted to bring in some kind of Zen quality to the character. So we were playing with a um, sort of a nod to an Asian collar into blazers. It was tricky. It was really hard. And my even my Korean tailor was kind of like, oh, no, but we, we got there. But it was a little it was a little difficult. Sometimes the ideas have a hard time translating into getting the fabric to behave right. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. But it was tricky. But um, yeah, we wanted sort of that whimsy, but Asian infused with European clothing. Okay. Um, you know, were there any kind of Easter eggs costume wise or, or design wise that, you know, you can that you can talk about or slipped in there? Um you know, any nods to anything that, you know, kind of special? Darn. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I know all my, um, you know, I teach, so I was telling you, I teach at UCLA and mm -hmm. most of my graduate alumni and undergrad alumni, most of them work in DC and Marvel because mm -hmm. they have such great uh, training in computers and uh, unique fabric sourcing and all that. So they talk about this Easter egg thing a lot. I never thought about it. <laughs> I don't, I don't. I That's don't fine too. Problems. Yeah. Um, I know they do it. Like in um, WandaVision, they have a bunch of them. Oh, I, I, I know people them. talk about them online. So I, yeah. I believe it. Um, is there anything? I guess I need to like, 
bring that into my um, <laughs> visual vocabulary. I just haven't thought of it, but I just I just interviewed the design team on WandaVision for my students. Oh. And um, that came up quite a bit where they were talking about the Easter eggs, but I sadly have not thought about that as a designer. <laughs> well, next time I interview you, I'll yeah. ask you. I'll and tell you and... where they are. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Um, you know, is there anything else you want to share about, you know, season two about the process or about your career or anything like that? Because I know we're um, coming on time. Yeah. Um, uh, no, but I just want to say it's, it was just an incredible experience. And I am so, my crew keeps calling me. I am so hoping we move on to season three because mm -hmm. the show, you know, there's a new category in the Emmys. No. It's for family children's programming. It oh. just happened over the summer. It's about time. <laughs> right? So I think it was a little late in the organization. I don't know. I'm not with the Emmy Academy. I am a member, but I don't know how they planned it. But uh, they just announced last week that season one has been nominated for 11 Emmy nominations in this new children's family. So that's phenomenal. Curious um, Benedict Society is going to be part of the lineup for the inaugural awards for family and um, children's programming. I and love that. Adair, the costume designer was also nominated. So hopefully they will look at our season two and consider all of us. But, um, you know, I wish them all the best of luck at the awards. I think it happens on December 10th and 11th this year. Okay. Well, I'll be watching and, and rooting for a third season and, and more costumes. Your work is beautiful. And thank you so much for being here and, and talking with me. And, and thank you, Cameron. And is well. your article written? Do you want to um, have images in the article? Oh, if you have images to share, that would oh, be amazing. Right. Usually I would just source oh, them, but that's, that would oh, be no, fantastic. I have, I have. So um, what I can do is I will share with you our renderings. Okay. I uh, co-created the renderings with my illustrator, Rashawn Lee. Okay. It's, um, I will put it in an email. Okay. And uh, so we do, I normally do all of my drawings, but okay. the show was so fast and we need so many renderings. Uh, then I worked with Rashawn Lee. And what it was is that um, most of the drawings are, they look like they are fitting photographs. Yeah, They were all created before the costumes were made wow. to have our writers, producers approve the look of the show. Oh, wow. So, but it's really amazing when you see them, it looks like they are photographs. We even had moments where uh, some of the producers were like, well, we have to move this scene up and you've already got those coats ready, right? And we're like, oh no, we don't even have the fabric finished. Oh, wow, they must be incredible. Yeah. I can't yeah, wait to see them. Really special, yeah, yeah. And that's all, I don't know how to do photorealism. I just do my little sort of surrealist drawings and Rashawn takes it and goes, wing, and it's all done. <laughs> so, oh, that's phenomenal. Thank you. I'd love that. Right. Have a wonderful day. Thank you for listening. You can find the companion article for this podcast, along with all the other news for those who like superheroes, science fiction, and fantasy films, TV shows, and other media at thecosmiccircus.com. Have a great day.